0: this is the podcast for Faith Matters. I'm the host, John Moorhead. Thanks to everyone for listening and for watching. And uh, if you would help us out uh, by uh, clicking like and subscribing and uh, giving us a great rating on whatever platform uh, you happen to be partaking of this. And of course, we need your support if you'd like to look at our patrons page to help us keep this going. Enough of the commercial announcement I'm privileged today to have as my guest. And I'm hoping I'm pronouncing this correctly. If I'm not, please correct me. Massimo Introvigne, Is that correct? Yes. I got it. Very good. Thank you so much. I'm going to go ahead and read a bio that I found off of one of the websites that you're involved with. Massimo is an Italian sociologist of religions. He is the founder and managing director of the Center for Studies on New Religions, an international network of scholars who study new religious movements, Introvina is the author of some 70 books and more than 100 articles in the field of sociology of religion. He was the main author of the Encyclopedia of Religions in Italy. He is a member of the editorial board for the Interdisciplinary Journal of Research on Religion and the executive board of University of California Press's Nova Religio. From January 5th to December 31st, 2011, he served as the representative on combating racism, xenophobia and discrimination with a special focus on discrimination against Christians and members of other religions of the Organizations for Security and Cooperation in Europe. From 2012 to 2015, he served as chairperson of the Observatory of Religious Liberty, instituted by the Italian Ministry of Foreign Affairs, in order to monitor the problems of religious liberty on a worldwide scale. Massimo, welcome to the uh, Multi Faith Matters podcast. Good evening or good morning, whatever it is. <laughs> whatever I well, I, I'm uh, so happy to have you here. I've been a, a follower of your work uh, and, and some of your, your colleagues like Gordon Melton and what you're doing at Cessna for many years, so I appreciate you taking the time. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, the Western esoteric tradition, and as I mentioned when you and I chatted briefly before we started recording the podcast, this is something that I think there's a lot of misunderstanding and stereotypes, particularly amongst American Christians and evangelicals. So let's begin with the use of terminology. Uh, How is Western esotericism defined, and how does that term relate to others like the term the occult or metaphysics?
1: Yeah, right now there is a very important and sometimes heated discussion uh, in the academia whether esotericism is just a Western concept or if we can find something like uh, esotericism also in uh, Asia or Africa. And that discussion is still going on, but first we should uh, establish uh, what is uh, esotericism. And that's something uh, <clears throat> one particular academic who unfortunately died uh, two months ago, Anton Favre from the Sorbonne University in Paris, devoted his entire life to. And uh, there is no agreement in the definition of esotericism, but I believe from uh, the point of view of uh, Christian and I happen to be an uh, active Christian myself, uh, it is important to understand that there are uh, two different uh, and not entirely compatible definitions. For one definition, uh, and that was a preferred definition, esotericism is just a methodology. Uh, it's a way of looking at a religious tradition Trying uh, to find not so much the logical or philosophical part of this tradition, uh, but the mystical or symbolic parts, uh, which are normally grasped uh, only through uh, imagination uh, or uh, sometimes uh, emotion or uh, special experiences rather than by reasons alone. Uh, that definition of esotericism uh, uh, as a methodology explains why the chair of the Sorbonne University in Paris created for Antoine Faire, uh, was called esoterical and mystical currents uh, in the West. So it's put together esotericism and mysticism even if they are not exactly Uh, One and the same. As opposite to this, there is another definition of uh, esotericism, and uh, its definition uh, sometimes connected with the uh, so-called traditionalist uh, school, and uh, a definition uh, Fair uh, did not agree with, uh, nor did I, for nor do I for what matters. And this definition is that esotericism is a system of doctrines, and it's a sort of the result of an operation Uh, you try to take away from all the main religious traditions what is more superficial and not essential. And when uh, you have eliminated all this, uh, supposedly, and again, I don't believe it, supposedly, you will reach uh, uh, what the traditionalist authors, such as uh, Rene Guenon or Friti of Schuon, would call the transcendental core which supposedly again, and again I don't believe it, uh, will be one and the same in all religions. So this essential or transcendental or mysterious or metaphysical core of Christianity, once we get rid of all the historical uh, superstructure of Christianity, would be recognizable as one and the same as the essential core of Islam, the essential core of Buddhism, or Hinduism, or Judaism, and all the great or legitimate religious tradition. So as you see, these two definitions are very much different because it's clear that uh, 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 Orthodox Christian uh, should stay away from esotericism, because in the second sense, esotericism becomes either the apology for relativism, all religions are the same, are equally true, but that means they are equally false, or it becomes a competing religion. And that's uh, something the Apostles are already seen when they were confronted with uh, Simon Magus or early Gnosticism. Because in this case, the mysteriosophy or the search for common mysteries in our religion just resulted in establishing another religion. And you cannot be a Christian and a member of another religion at the same time. On the other hand, if esotericism is seen as a methodology, just a way of looking for the more. sometimes hit them, not because somebody wants to hit them, but because they are difficult, objectively difficult to understand. In this case, there have been quite a few authors who have promoted the Christian esotericism, even if, of course, uh, uh, when you separate yourself from the more rational and objective uh, Th- uh, points of theology, uh, you can diverge on a dangerous uh, uh, trend, uh, but uh, anyway, it's the methodology is something different. Now, the occult uh, uh, again, occult is a comparatively recent word. Uh, there is not the word the occultism, of course. The occult is what is hidden. That dates back to Roman times, but. Uh, Occultism only appears at the end of the 19th century. And uh, it is the idea that from esotericism, you can derive uh, some practical benefits uh, through practical techniques. And so these techniques uh, can be Uh, putting yourself in touch with the stars or new forms of astrology. Of course, astrology is a very old thing, uh, or getting in touch with the spirits, so spiritualism and other ways of contacting uh, either the spirits of the deceased or other spirits supposedly existing in our universe, or uh, using your body through a variety of meat, some of them sexual, uh, to get some uh, alchemical results of uh, transmuting yourself into a higher being with supposed uh, superpowers, etc. So uh, the esotericism is theoretical even for those believe it's a system and it's not just a methodology while occultism is uh, practical?
0: That question of uh, definition is very helpful and thank you for helping un- unpack all of that. Uh, can you summarize, I know this is, this is just huge, but can you hit some key points and perhaps summarize some of the history and the intellectual thought that has gone that makes up Western esotericism?
1: Yeah, uh, Western, again, the word esotericism only appeared at the end of the uh, 18th or 19th century, Uh, but very often the thing precedes the word. I mean, there were uh, what today we would call esoteric uh, systems and methods uh, well before the word esotericism appeared. So basically, even with we can find, of course, uh, uh, esoteric approaches uh, in Greek and uh, Roman culture, uh, the uh, systematic exploration of this uh, uh, mysterious or hidden side of religion uh, started really in Hellenistic times. So roughly around the time of Jesus Christ, when uh, uh, there was a lot of uh, syncretism and comparative exploration of uh, religions, uh, Egyptian, Greek, uh, Roman, and uh, people started really to be interested in, uh, in, uh, in these mysteries. And some uh, books started circulating called Hermetica, which were attributed to Hermes Trismegistus, which was actually a divine figure. But uh, of course, Hermes Trismegistus was not the real author of these books. We don't know actually who the authors were, but were probably a group of people interested in these ideas we would today call uh, esoterica. Uh, in the Middle Ages, the Church was not very favorable to this uh, speculation, and uh, uh, some uh, philosophers we can call uh, esoteric, such as Michael Scotus, found themselves in uh, trouble. But there was a huge uh, uh, revival of esoteric ideas with the Renaissance, and one of the things that prompted the uh, the uh, uh, this revival was that uh, the Jews had always been interested in an esoteric approach called the Kabbalah. And uh, in uh, the uh, uh, 16th century, uh, there were the first uh, uh, European scholars, Christian scholars, uh, who were able to translate and understand the Kabbalah, which is a very difficult system, and they created what is called the Christian Kabbalah, so a Christianized uh, version of the Jewish uh, Kabbalah. What happened next is that the Protestants were very much against the esoteric approach. They regarded it as evidence that uh, the Catholic Church has never really cut the umbilical uh, tie with the Roman and Greek uh, paganism. So there was an anti-esoteric approach in Protestant countries, even if some of the uh, founder of modern esotericism, such as Jacob Böhme, he lived in the 17th century in, in Protestant countries. In the uh, 18th century, there was a second wave of criticism of esotericism coming not so much from Christianity, but from the rationalism of the Enlightenment. Uh, but again, in some of the institutions which supposedly promoted the Enlightenment, including Freemasonry, there were quite a few people who, who were interested in esotericism and even in the practical version of occultism. Comes the the, the 19th century, uh, there is a great, uh, after the the criticism and even the the, the persecution of esotericists by the French Revolution, there is a great revival, which is however accompanied by a new new criticism coming from Marxism. Uh, from which uh, for which the esotericism <clears throat> is part of the opiate of the people and it's a waste of time. Uh, Marx was uh, very concerned with esotericism because some of the uh, esoteric uh, organizations were more or less socialist, but uh, uh, for uh, they practiced forms of non-Marxist socialism. So there was a competition. And uh, he regarded the, the esoteric socialism, which is now very much studied uh, more or less uh, uh, as a waste uh, uh, of time. And I would say that uh, Uh, esotericism continues to be uh, a form of rejected knowledge because uh, rationalism dominated the the academia, until I would say in the 1960s, as one of the main products of the 60s, even in the academia uh, there was a serious study of esotericism, uh, with chairs of uh, esoteric history being established uh, at the Sorbonne, and notably because a whole institute uh, flourished there and uh, still a leading role in this field at the University of Amsterdam in the, the Netherlands. And that eventually led to the establishment of two uh, separate organizations, which include each. Uh, several hundred scholars and sometimes overlaps in the United States, the Association for the Study of Esotericism, ASE. And in uh, Europe, the ESSWE, the European Society for the Study of Western Esotericism. So now I would say that as opposite to, I would say, the 1960s, uh, there is a, a recognizable academic community of people studying uh, esotericism in the academia. There are specialized journals, publishing house, uh, uh, etc. And there is, of course, uh, a popular uh, interest in esotericism. Uh, of course the new age uh, was uh, uh, a sort of folk esotericism uh, which did, uh, the, perhaps the academic didn't particularly like. They would prefer to study uh, Jacob Bohme or Pico della Mirandola, but uh, on the other end, uh, the new age put the millions in touch with uh, esoteric ideas. So for me I'm a sociologist. Sociologist more than an historian, the New Age is a phenomenon that cannot be ignored because perhaps it was never very deep in its theories, but it has an enormous social impact that perhaps more deep or serious esoteric investigations never had.
0: Is there any reliable way to come up with? estimates as to how many people might be practicing esotericism? Well, esotericism is not an organized religion, so
1: you you can know how many Jehovah's witnesses there are around, uh, roughly, because you don't know if some who have been baptized are still active, etc., but statistics are more or less available. But you cannot know how many are interested in esotericism. The esoteric groups, organized groups, uh, uh, tend to be comparatively small. I mean, the largest was probably the Theosophical Society, but it's now reduced to to less than 20,000 people. But people who read the books about esoteric, uh, go to esoteric bookstores, uh, uh, may follow podcasts about uh, uh, esoteric ideas. Uh, these are probably in the world uh, some millions. And then, uh, uh, like if you ask how many people are involved in new religious movements, the problem is where you put the boundaries. You mention it, Gordon Melton. Uh, One of Gordon Melson's theories, which he has uh, presented in several books, is that uh, uh, Scientology uh, uh, is not a sort of evil cult, and it's not uh, uh, exactly a religion, but it's a a sort of uh, modern version of mass uh, uh, esotericism. That's Gordon Melton's idea, we can discuss it. But of course, if you include phenomena like Scientology in the field of Western esotericism, then your numbers can, can go up.
0: Uh, Since you mentioned Scientology, what are some of the major expressions that folks might be aware of and those that they maybe they aren't aware of and need to be that would represent the Western esoteric tradition?
1: Well, until, uh, I'll say, before the New Age, when everything became very fragmented, uh, particularly in the U.S., the the most... uh, Important tradition was the Rosicrucian tradition, which is, I would say, quintessentially an esoteric tradition. And there were different competing groups. Uh, But uh, a large group, even if many people were sort of male order devotees, uh, they paid the sum and they received material to study at home. They didn't particularly like to gather, even if some did, was the AMORC, the Antique and Mystical Order of the Rosy Cross. If you go to San Jose in California, they have a huge... Quasi Egyptian uh, uh, temple, which serves as their world headquarters. Uh, but they, there were other uh, Rosicrucian organizations like the, the Rosicrucian Fellowship, which is also headquartered in California, founded by a uh, Danish esotericist, Max Heindel, uh, and other uh, minor or smaller or, or organizations. I would say that the Theosophical Society uh, is an esoteric uh, organization, even if they would say that they have two circles. One just organizes lectures, mostly about Buddhism or Hinduism, and then they have the esoteric circle, but not all members are members of the esoteric circles. And uh, one large schism of the Theosophical Society is the Anthroposophical Society, founded in Germany by uh, Rudolf Steiner. And Steiner separated himself uh, uh, from the Theosophical Society because he was, he regarded himself as a Christian and uh, he disagreed with the negative evaluation of. Uh, Christianity by some of the theosophical leaders who preferred Hinduism or Buddhism, even if Steiner's uh, Christianity will probably be regarded as not orthodox by by many uh, Christians. But again, uh, anthroposophy uh, is uh, made of concentric circles. Uh, many who attend some uh, activities of anthroposophy like the Walder schools or the Camp Hill communities for the disabled, which I believe do a very good job in assisting the disabled, but not all of them are uh, really committed to the uh, spiritual or esoteric Uh, principle of anthroposophy, for instance, in the Camp Hill communities, uh, say there is an inner circle, you are free to join or not join, and those who join the the inner or or spiritual circle, these are those who are really committed to the esoteric ideas of Steiner, but you can work for the Camp Hill community and assist the disabled and not be uh, a member of the of the inner uh, circle, uh, I would say in the U.S. these are the strongest uh, traditions. Uh, in uh, Europe, uh, there will be the Martinist uh, tradition, uh, which follows the teaching of uh, two unrelated uh, uh, esoteric masters of the end of the nineteen uh, eighteen and beginning. Uh, of the 19th century with similar names, but not related, Martinez de Pasquali and Saint-Martin. Martinism is a strong tradition in some European countries, but a small or tiny uh, organization in the United States. And then, of course, we should open a discussion on Freemasonry, uh, because uh, uh, Freemasonry is a broad category. and. Uh, both in Europe and the United States, uh, uh, most uh, uh, Masonic lodges uh, uh, are, uh, have largely abandoned the esoteric teachings and activities of the 18th uh, or early 19th centuries. They are more like uh, uh, social clubs uh, with uh, sort of uh, Either liberal Christian or liberal, but not Christian, but mostly European ideology. However, uh, uh, there are forms of Freemasonry which still cultivate uh, esoteric uh, traditions which were prevalent in the early. Uh, 18th century Freemasonry, they may be called Egyptian uh, Egyptian, uh, Freemasonry, Uh, they may be called in different ways, but uh, a strong commitment to the esoteric research is not today found in the majority of the Masonic lodges, although it is found in some of them
0: we got a, a hint of this when you were going through the definitions of terms and, and I know there's great diversity here but what are what would be some common practices and and ideas that would run through esotericism
1: Well most uh, uh, esoteric uh, uh, masters they would uh, Uh, teach a philosophy rather than practices. But of course, some will teach uh, uh, practices as well. For instance, in the traditionalist uh, uh, school, there were never many practices, except that some of the uh, traditionalist uh, leaders, they say, all religions are equal. But there is one which is more equal than the other, and ended up converted to Islam. So uh, Islam, not uh, in the shape of, uh, I would say, political uh, Islam uh, or missionary Islam, but in the shape of Sufism. Sufism is, uh, one can say, is the esoteric tradition within Islam, and it has certain practices, uh, uh, certain way of chanting, uh, which are peculiar to Sufism. So in the traditional school, Uh, Some will teach zikr, but zikr is a way of chanting, which comes from uh, Sufism. Now, those who have occult practices, including, for example, many Rosicrucian schools, uh, after they teach you the theory, they will teach you uh, some practices. And these practices uh, start with uh, visualization, when you visualize uh, uh, certain uh, energies and uh, supposedly uh, attract uh, these energies within uh, your field, uh, there can be some form of chanting of uh, ritual formulas. And when you progress in the way, there can be uh, evocation of spirits, which in the, in many traditions are not spirits of the deceased. That's the spiritualist tradition, which still exists in the United States. You can go to places like Lilydale mm-hmm. upstate New York. It's still a camp with uh, all uh, all. If you want to become a resident of Lily which I've visited uh, several times, uh, you should prove you are a spiritualist medium. Otherwise, you cannot buy or rent a home. So uh, people go there on the weekend, and there are uh, all these mediums who offer their services, put you in touch with your just deceased uh, uncle or husband or son. But Lady is more than this because uh, it has been in existence since the 19th century. So we have... Uh, wonderful uh, uh, archive of uh, material about the history of spiritualism in the United States. And like other people, before COVID, unfortunately, they had decided to reach out to the academic community and organize academic conferences. I have attended a couple of them. Uh, But uh, then COVID came and uh, this experiment was uh, interrupted. As I say, most other groups, the spirits to be contacted uh, are more uh, uh, spirits uh, which are uh, neither angels nor demons and supposedly exist in our universe. And some more Christianized will say Vincent St. Paul gives all these least thrones and dominations, it alludes to the idea of uh, uh, many spirits which can... Uh, enter into a conversation with us and not all Rosicrucian groups but uh, and not all esoteric groups but groups who have esoteric practices uh, very often will have uh, practices centered on 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 sexuality uh, because there can be a sort of magical use of uh, of uh, uh, sexuality uh, to generate not children, but inner children, which would survive your death and evolve in a special way uh, in the, the, the astral world or in the uh, spiritual world. Now, here there are a lot of misunderstandings uh, uh, because uh, when we talk about uh, Sexual magic. Sexual magic is not a politically correct word. uh, Practitioners don't want uh, scholars to use it. They want to use sacred uh, eroticism. But sacred eroticism basically goes in two ways. Uh, There is, uh, in these two ways, Uh, have both existed in uh, Hindu-Buddhist Jain, Tantrism, which is really the matrix. Uh, That's a uh, transversal or ecumenical religious movement in India around the year 1000, before and after. And it's a movement which reacted uh, uh, against what was perceived as the spiritualization of this religion, which uh, uh, proposed sort of a escaping from the material reality. And so Tantris say, let's try the other ways to use the material reality to achieve enlightenment. Now, material reality was not only sexuality. It was, uh, for instance, the food or the uh, visual arts. So Tantrism uh, produced a very significant artistic movement, uh, but it was also sexuality. But already in Tantrism and those who imported into Western esoterics these techniques normally found them in India. Already in Tantrism there were two very different uh, uh, schools uh, Uh, one schools were sort of, uh, or justic, so let's liberate the sexuality, and supposedly all this energy can be channelled to some effect. But that was uh, a so-called left-hand path, which was never the majority. It's not the oldest and it's not the largest in India. And in the West, it's mostly connected uh, uh, with the uh, Alistair Crowley who was a British mangus who, who spent uh, significant time in India and really learned uh, the techniques there interestingly for Christians he was reacting against Christianity uh, because of the strict uh, education he had received in the Plymouth Brethren. His father was a leader in this Christian sect. So uh, Crowley uh, is at the origin of a current called Telema, uh, which comes from Rabelais, the, the Abbey of Telema. It was a satiric uh, uh, early modern um, French novel. And uh, Rabelais had put uh, 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 represented an abbe whose motto was do what you will. And so Crowley also is do what you will, which is not really uh, just don't care because will is a magical force. So you should have this wild sexual experience, but then you should have cultivated your will to direct all this energy to a magical But as I say, that's a minority tradition. Uh, The largest tantric or uh, neo-tantric tradition uh, practices something else, uh, practices sexuality without ejaculation. So uh, men should stop just one minute before the conclusion of the sexual act, because the tantric idea, which is widespread in some Western esoteric currents as well, but we take it from the Indian uh, Tantra, is that in this case, the sexual energy, rather than going outside, uh, it uh, uh, flows inward. And uh, according to the, the uh, Hindu, basically, uh, physiology it, uh, we have uh, several energy centers called chakras, and it goes up from the lower chakras to the upper chakras and gives some wonderful results, uh, both in enhancing our consciousness and in uh, uh, allowing uh, the, 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 the formation of a body of light, which is a sort of double which will again uh, survive us when we die. And Today, there are some very large organizations with these sort of teachings, but not so much in the United States, Uh, it's more like in Latin America and in uh, Europe particularly in Eastern Europe, Romania, Bulgaria. In the United States, uh, these teachings are not uh, widespread. And you can uh, go to a lot of Tantra seminars for the weekend, but these are mostly uh, offered by masters who will not call themselves esoteric, Uh, but rather Hindu or uh, perhaps uh, Daoist uh, masters from uh, China or uh, uh, Thailand. So the esoteric part is less emphasized, it's more the Eastern part. But uh, the tantrism mediated by some esoteric masters uh, still inspires a number of esoteric movements,
0: but uh, not so much in the United States. You mentioned earlier that the New Age movement is something of a folk expression of esotericism and that some scholars uh, may not have been too thrilled to, to study that aspect of it. But it, it seems to me that sometimes these popular or folk expressions of any religious tradition can tell us something significant about what's going on in the culture and why these things are appealing. What kind, How has esotericism impacted popular culture and what might that tell us about why these why this continues to be uh, serve an important function in people's lives? Perhaps I should premise this with the fact that now we know that esotericism
1: has impacted the high culture too, uh, and while uh, the most popular field of research in the academia. Uh, now is the impact of esotericism on modern art. And there have been huge exhibitions. One of the first was like 15 or 20 years ago in Los Angeles uh, on the impact of esotericism on modern art. Uh, If we look at abstract art, uh, Kandinsky went to the lectures of Rudolf Steiner, and uh, uh, even before, He he wrote it in so many words that he never was uh, a member of theosophical society, but many of his ideas about the art came from his exploration of theosophical ideas. Mondrian was as important perhaps as Kandinsky for the foundation of uh, contemporary abstract art, was a card-carrying member and very active in the theosophical society. If we move to Canada, uh, Lauren Harris, who is the founder of uh, Canadian Modern Art, who was a member of Theosophical Society, even he had a radio show to propagate the ideas of the Theosophical Society. In Europe, of course, the uh, Salon de la Rose Croix, which were organized by one of the Rosicrucian organizations were extremely important uh, for European art in the uh, uh, 19th century. But even in the 20th century, uh, there are uh, enormous uh, uh, points of contact uh, between modern art and esoteric. I believe this happened because there was A sort of divorce, which was never total, but was significant of the arts from Christianity. So the artistic community was one of those communities which uh, lost contact uh, after the Enlightenment with the the Christian churches. And most of the artists and institutions preparing the artists uh, were quite anti-Christian. But uh, I believe that it's very difficult to produce artists who are totally non-spiritual your art becomes very boring, like the socialist realism in the Soviet Union. And uh, so they looked for alternative spiritualities and even when it was fashionable to declare yourself as Marxist, that was not uh, uh, the total story. For instance, uh, uh, Diego Rivera and Frida Kahlo, are so popular now, the Mexican artists, they were staunch uh, Marxists, but Rivera was also the founder of the lodge in Mexico City of the ancient and mystical order of the Rosicross. Cross. Uh, and Frida Kahlo always said she was an atheist, but when she has a series of uh, Drawings and paintings called karma, which are really about the reincarnation. So you see, these Marxists were not totally Marxist, but surely they were not Christian. That's for sure. So there is an an impact of esotericism, and we can discuss novels, for instance, how extremely popular novels have been impacting the. Uh, by uh, esotericism, uh, uh, just uh, one of the interesting book of this year is about Ryder Haggard, who was an extremely, but the the minds of King Solomon, you know, many movies were done. And he was a popular Victorian novelist, and he was very much uh, into uh, the, the esoteric ideas, although at the same time he was also uh, curious of debates about Christianity, it was a sort of leftist uh, Christians interested in, in radical biblical criticism. So and uh, we can of course continue. Conan Doyle, the creator of Sherlock Holmes, who was uh, very much involved in, in uh, spiritualism, so was a Victor Gu in France and so on and so on. Pamela Travers, the creator of Mary Poppins, for instance, uh, uh, was a follower of the uh, Armenian esoteric master, uh, George Gurdjieff. So we, uh, we can go to the music, of course. Uh, many uh, musicians uh, uh, were like Stockhausen uh, uh, were uh, interested in, uh, in esoteric ideas. So in short, and not to go into too many uh, details, uh, what happened is the intellectual elite uh, after the Enlightenment, uh, uh, largely, as I say, never totally, because we were always Christian musicians, Christian painters, Christian novelists, but largely divorced from Christianity, and uh, since to be creative, uh, you have always uh, something spiritual. They were looking for alternative spiritualities. Now, this is also true for popular culture, uh, because uh, uh, there is a popular culture appealing to the masses who have abandoned Christianity or have remained Christians in name only. So before something called the New Age emerged at the end of the 60s, there were already uh, large masses interested in uh, spiritualism or in astrology, which are not exactly Christian ideas. And uh, the New Age was uh, initially a label uh, which put together all these trends, uh, and uh, g- created not a movement, because the new age was never a movement, but a network. Uh, a network through festivals, through fairs, uh, through bookstores, which were very important. Then the new age went into some decline. Because uh, uh, it had an element of fashion, and so that the fashions normally uh, don't last forever. And so to call uh, yourself a new age today, but I say perhaps uh, in the 21st century is less popular than it was in the 80s or in the 90s. Somebody will speak of a next stage who says the new, new age, uh, and other people will use other labels. However, the idea of uh, networking uh, in alternative spiritualities Still very popular both with uh, common people and with the elites. If you look at the phenomenon like the Burning Man Festival, uh, that's attended by Bill Gates and it's attended uh, uh, by old hippies with their backpacks. So uh, you see that there is uh, still uh, this idea of networking uh, and putting together different. Uh, uh, alternative spiritualities in sort of putpuri uh, where you don't really have a sense of belonging, but in another way you do, because uh, you don't belong to a religion, you don't belong to a movement, but you belong to a network. And you know there are times uh, like these festivals or places uh, like Findhorn, which still exists, of course, in, uh, in Scotland or uh, for the more cultivated, as land, which also still exists in Big Sur, uh, where you can go and uh,
0: find the number of uh,
1: activities.
0: Uh, I, that's all very helpful. I think folks can uh, particularly connect with how they might see it in pop culture. Let's talk a little bit about how Christians tend to view it. Um, and that's kind of what we began with in terms of the purpose here. In, in a lot of Christian quarters, there is... Uh, Fear of the occult, and it's frequently associated with spiritual evil and with Satan and Satanism and this kind of a thing. When did these kinds of associations really come together? And why do you think there has been this continuous fear of the occult?
1: yeah uh well uh, the association is very old because of course uh, uh, magicians have been associated with Satan um, since the, the the fathers of the church so the idea that uh, if magicians uh, produce effects since cannot be science, uh, Uh, And uh, it cannot uh, be God because their doctrines are not good. The only uh, remaining explanation is the the, the devil. So that idea is, is of course, very old. It's it's an old idea which has had historical uh, consequences. Well, there is a lot to say uh, about it, I do believe uh, personally in the existence of the devil. So I will not rule out that some phenomena may be uh, provoked uh, by the devil, Uh, but uh, um, I always recommended uh, uh, a method of Uh, coming to the devil to explain phenomena is the very last explanation, because uh, uh, for most of these phenomena, you don't need the, the devil. They may have natural causes, uh, uh, they ha- may have uh, psychological causes. Uh, and the parapsychology is a slippery science, uh, but it's a science with some academic shares nonetheless, and it doesn't posit the, 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 the operation necessarily of spirits, but perhaps uh, of forces we don't uh, totally uh, understand yet, yeah. as I say, it's a slippery uh, area, and uh, parapsychologists may be serious people. You have had a few in the United States, or uh, can be charlatans or uh, pseudos. So it's, it's a difficult uh, area. So I will say that it is possible, and uh, if uh, we read the Bible, there are, of course, examples of this. Uh, that uh, some uh, so-called magical phenomena caused by the devil. But I would say to come to this uh, only after having exhausted all the other uh, possible lines of of investigation and uh, and explanation. I remember a a document by the Catholic Church of some years ago about uh, other religions uh, where it was said that you should carefully distinguish uh, what you can recognize as the influence of the devil and the fact that people consciously know that they are submitting themselves to the influence of the devil. These are two totally different things. And uh, I believe most people who participate in uh, esoteric uh, activities, uh, they don't want to to enter into any relationship with the devil. And uh, many people believe that uh, esotericism can lead to things like universal brotherhood or interreligious dialogue. For instance, most theosophists join the theosophical society because it promises this uh, uh, brotherhood and reconciliation uh, between uh, all uh, religions. Now, a Christian can say they are misguided. Uh, because rather than accepting the truth of Christianity, we want to find something else, as you pose the common truth uh, beyond all religions. But uh, uh, on the other hand, I believe we should recognize that uh, uh, these people are often in good faith uh, and uh, they even do good deeds uh, in the sense of doing charitable or uh, uh, benevolent. Uh, Activities as for those who put into practice some occult techniques like visualization, astrology, or or, or even sexual practices, again. Um, one mistake Christians sometimes make who are not familiar with this milieu, it's that these people are just uh, dilettanti or people who want to have fun. But we should reflect on the fact that to have fun with sexuality, you don't need esoteric ideas these days. And so we should again credit uh, these people with the fact that they really believe they are into a a research for experiences of enlightenment. And again, it's a research from a Christian point of view, one may say misguided, or one can find the same or better experience in Christian meditation or Christian mysticism, Uh, but again, There is no reason to believe that most of these practitioners are in bad faith. I would say most of these practitioners really believe they can seek uh, enlightenment uh, or uh, uh, better states of conscience uh, through these um, practices. So I will be careful in judging while I fully agree when. Christian pastors warn uh, uh, their people not to enter into these kinds of experiments because these kinds of uh, experiments are rarely uh, ideologically compatible with the Orthodox form of Christianity. So I agree with the pastors, but at the same time, uh, I believe that confronted with people in most of these paths or organization, we should not immediately assume uh, they are evil people or they are in, uh, in bad faith. They are searching for something outside of Christianity. And that leads me to another, uh, another idea, Uh, that sometimes uh, as Christians we should do some soul-searching, because uh, there are many reasons why people look outside of Christianity. There are historical reasons dating back at least to the Enlightenment and the uh, criticism of Christianity by mainstream culture starting in the 18th century. Of this we are surely not responsible, uh, but sometimes we are responsible in a way that if uh, people and uh, including young people, uh, they find Christianity boring or too intellectual or uh, too social sometimes, too much focused on social justice, not that social justice is not important of course, uh, uh, but less focused in uh, Uh, inner, exciting uh, inner experience or spiritual experience. uh, uh, If uh, people don't find in Christianity these things and will go seek them in uh, groups mixing Eastern and Western spirituality or will go seek them in the Western esoteric traditions uh, or in the Rosicrucians uh, or whatever not, I believe sometimes we may also ask uh, ourselves whether we we offer the experiences uh, uh, these people are are looking for, and I believe within Christianity, of course, uh, there is a mystical uh, tradition, and uh, there are traditions which can speak to people. Who end up finding Christianity boring, but uh, many of these people, they don't know, of course, any, they don't know anything more than their local pastor or priest, and uh, they may find their local communities
0: somewhat uh, not uh, inspiring enough. Can, uh, as we close here, can you recommend uh, maybe a few books and resources that uh, folks can seek out who want to learn more about esotericism?
1: Yeah, I can recommend some authors. Uh, and one is a Dutch professor called uh, Walter Hanegraaff, H-A-N-E-G-R-A-A-F-F. And uh, if you Uh, look at Hanegraaff on Amazon, you can find uh, uh, some very small books which are introductory and suitable for the non-professional and some huge books which are more suitable for the uh, college students or or academics. So Hanegraaff is surely a valuable guide and you can find also some of the books by Antoine Fevre F. A I B R E have been translated into English. So these are the two, I would say, main names as uh, academics uh, uh, studying the New Age. And you mentioned Gordon Melton. So if you want to check out uh, a specific group, Gordon Melton publishes periodically encyclopedias, including the Encyclopedia. Of American religion, which I believe is found in many libraries in the United States, it's an expensive book, but uh, it's a very useful resource where you can um, check out many different uh, uh, groups. Many years ago, Melton published a dictionary of the New Age, too. I don't know if it's still available. And that includes entries on many um, currents and groups which are part of esotericism and eventually became part of the, of the new age group.
0: Well, Dr. Intravina, I appreciate you taking the time and uh, coming and sharing your, your vast expertise uh, with my listening and viewing audience today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.